Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Hope Church, what's happening? That's what's up. And to everybody viewing online, my name is Derwin Gray, and on behalf of my wife, Vicki, and on behalf of your sister church in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, Transformation Church, it is an honor and privilege for me and also KJ to do those like seven foot that song, and Greg, who's on the keys back there, they're part of the Transformation Church family as well. And so it's an honor and privilege to be a part of this series that we do have a big God and God does have a big family. So will you pray with me and we're gonna dive right into it after that. Just, just right where you are. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would attune our hearts to the rhythm of the Father's love. And that rhythm, his name is Jesus. He's full of grace, he's full of truth, he's full of mercy. He will meet us right where we are, transform us and take us and make us into the people that he has created us to be. Challenge us, encourage us, comfort us, bless us. We pray this in the matchless name of King Jesus and God's people said, amen, amen. So here's something that I think that all of us can agree upon. That 2020 was an absolute dumpster fire. <laughs> and and, and I'm, I'm not talking about a dumpster fire that's just in an alley somewhere on fire. I'm talking about a dumpster fire in a flood going down the street on fire. Uh, who would have ever thought that we would live in the midst of a global pandemic? That's something that happens thousands of years ago. Uh, we have seen cities burn. We've seen the U.S. Capitol uh, raided. We've, we've seen political, I don't even know how to describe it. And then 2021 starts and it's like, oh, 2020 ain't got nothing on me. <laughs> but what if I told you this? What if I told you that happiness is your birthright as a citizen of God's kingdom. Well, let me put it to you another way. What if I told you that the moment that you said yes to Jesus, that he not only forgave your sins, but he placed you in his family that belongs to his dad, and that in that family, our inheritance is happiness. Now you're going, now what you're talking about, preacher? Uh, our definition of happiness isn't Jesus's definition of happiness. Often when you and I think of happiness, we think of happiness in these terms. Happiness is good things are, are happening to me a lot. And Jesus' definition of happiness is not necessarily good things always happening to us. You ready for this? God's definition of happiness is God actually making us good for the world. So our happiness is no longer contingent upon COVID-19. It's no longer contingent upon who's in the White House. It's no longer contingent upon the economy. It is only contingent upon Jesus himself 
and how he is making us good. You, you, you're going, well, preacher, man, that sounds kind of good, but where are you getting that from? The Bible. It's a great book. And the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher to ever preach, Jesus unfolds what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. So I've been to this part of Israel, and it's not really a mountain, it's like a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee. So, so Jesus would have been there, and, and his Talmudim, his disciple, the, the, the disciples, the other Jewish people would have been listening to him, and he opens up the Sermon on the Mount, what, what is commonly called the Beatitudes. It's in Matthew chapter five, verses three through 12. And the Beatitudes start this way. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and then he lists seven other characteristics of a blessed person. Well, that word blessed is the Greek word makros. On account count of three, those of you watching at home, those of you here in person, I want you to see, I want you to say macros on three. One, two, three, macros. Good, no one said macaroni, way to go. <laughs> macros literally means happy. So Jesus is saying, when you come into my kingdom, I'm gonna form you into a happy person, but it's a happiness that makes you good. And so we're going to look at one of the attributes of a happy person or a blessed person and it's mercy. Check this out. Teenagers, you may want to write this down if you take notes. Merciful people are happy people. People who lack mercy lack happiness. Let me say it one more time because I'm a preacher. We got to repeat ourselves. Merciful people are happy. People who lack mercy lack happiness. Like for example, say for instance, it's Thanksgiving or Christmas time and families come in and you're like, oh man, Uncle Pete has come in and he is so much fun to be around. He's angry, he's bitter, he's critical, he complains all the time, he be getting drunk and cussing. Oh, he is awesome, I cannot wait for Uncle Pete to come. If you're not laughing, you might be Uncle Pete. You're like, what? What's, what's funny? I mean, no. There's something beautiful about mercy. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. He says, Blessed or happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. H happy are the merciful, for, for, for they will be shown mercy. So what does being a merciful person mean? What does being a merciful person mean? Teenagers and preteens, Gen Z, lock in. Everybody else, lock in. For those of you who don't follow Christ yet, lock in. Being a merciful person means this. Number one, loving God by loving people you are not supposed to love. Loving God by loving people you are not supposed to to love. I'm going to say it one more time because this needs to settle into our souls. Loving God by loving people you are not supposed to love. Now, I already know what you're thinking because I thought the same thing when I wrote it down. Well, pastor, I am a Christian and I love everybody. Oh, do we really? So if I went and looked on your Facebook, how are you interacting with them old Democrats? 
How you, um, how you interacting with them Republicans? So like if I was to look at your Facebook, would it look like mercy and love? If Jesus was to look at your Facebook, would it look like mercy and love? By the way, Jesus is looking at your Facebook post. All of us, if we're honest, if we're honest, all of us have those people. The problem is, is we're not honest. And when you're not honest with God, what stays hid cannot be healed. What is unrevealed stays unhealed. You and I have to be honest about who we have hiccups with. Understand this, we are born broken. The Bible calls that sin. We are born broken, so as a result of that, all of us have kind of like those people. And growing is learning to love people you're not supposed to love. Jesus tells an incredible story. Let me give you the backdrop, and then we're going to dive into the text. So Jesus is having big success. People are getting healed. He's doing wonderful things. But, but there's a problem, though. Jesus is from Nazareth. In ancient Israel, Nazareth was uh, the wrong side of the tracks. Um, Nazareth wa was the projects. Nazareth was the trailer parks. Nazareth is where, where, where those people are. That's why Andrew, who introduced Peter to Jesus, said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because that was the hood. You're, a great rabbi can't come from Nazareth. He's supposed to come from Jerusalem, and he's supposed to come from a royal family. But here is Jesus. I, I mean, this is Jesus whose mom said the Holy Spirit got her pregnant. Can you imagine Jesus growing up like, yeah, Joseph's my dad, but my real dad is is, you know, Yahweh, and people are like, ride. They're like, Mary went to the club, dropped it like it was hot, and a Roman centurion impregnated her. No, seriously, that's what it would have been like. That makes no sense. Jesus was not supposed to be that guy. So he's going to get in conversation with a um, a scribe, a legal expert. Let's pick up the story. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him. So the expert in the law, his job was to know what's called the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible and to interpret them not only spiritually but legally. This was like a PhD and he wanted to catch Jesus in a trap. He wanted to test him. The way that word test is written in the Greek language means to trap Jesus. By the way, trying to test or trap Jesus is like trying to drink the Pacific Ocean with a straw. <laughs> Not going to happen. Saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So let me pause here. By this time, which is called the first century Second Temple Jewish world. Second Temple just means the temple that King Herod built. By this time in Israel's history, the Jewish people took what's called the Hebrew Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
And then they took Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 19, and they smashed them together. So by that time, God's will, and even to this day, is love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. At Transformation Church, if you are two years old to 92, you know our vision is this, upward, inward, outward. Love God completely, love yourself correctly, love your neighbors compassionately. Wherever you are, on the count of three, you're gonna say upward, inward, outward. Hands, motion, and everything. You ready? One, two, three. Upward, inward, outward. Good job. By the way, that makes a cross. Do you see that? It makes a cross. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, you have answered correctly. He told him, do this and you will live. Number two, teenagers, being a merciful person means that every human being is your neighbor. Let me say it again. Every human being is your neighbor, is my neighbor. Watch what the religious scholar does when, when Jesus traps him. Luke 10, 29 says this, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Now, for years, I looked at the Jewish scholar and I was like, man, look at this dude here. Man, he tried to catch Jesus, Jesus caught him, but now I have empathy and sympathy for him, and here's why. As a Jewish scholar, he understood the history of the Jewish nation. So as a Jewish man, understanding Jewish history, how would he have thought about the gonim? That's the Hebrew word for the Gentile, the, the nations, those who are not Jewish. How would he have thought about them? What was Jewish history in relation to the relationship with non-Jews? Well, let's start here. 400 years of slavery in Africa under the Egyptians. 400 years. So, so how would you feel about Gentiles when they like enslaved your people for 400 years? Probably not too good. And then, and then, God does the miracle, the Passover, the Red Sea, and they're going to the promised land, and then they gotta deal with the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebubites, the Perizzites, and most definitely, ants to bite. <laughs> so there's more Gentiles trying to wipe them out. They get to the promised land, but through disobedience, another powerful Gentile country called the Babylonians take them into what's called diaspora, takes them away from the promised land, and they're under the oppressive thumb of more Gentiles. And in the midst of all that story, there's this guy named Haman. And Haman goes, I'm gonna wipe every Jewish person off of the face of the earth. But there's a girl called Queen Esther, a Jewish girl. And Queen Esther approaches the king and she tells the king and the king listens to Queen Esther and all of Israel is saved. This ain't a part of the sermon, but let me throw it in here real quick. Hey ladies, the same way that God used Queen Esther is the same way that he can use you. You're not second string to the man. You're not like his road partner. God has a purpose for you. You are gifted, you are called. The first person that Jesus told he was the Messiah was a Samaritan woman. 
The first person who told the scared disciples who were running and hiding and fishing that Jesus rose from the dead was a woman. Jesus' mama was a woman. Hey, ladies, stand up. You got a role. You got a role. You got a purpose. God can use you. You're not second string. Where was I? Oh, yeah. So finally, finally, the Jewish people get to Israel, the promised land, but who is it dominated by? The Romans. Jesus would have grown up as a little boy seeing Jewish men littered the Roman roads in Israel hanging on crosses. Because that was a way to say, you guys don't get out of line, because if you do, you'll be on a cross too. So how would you feel about non-Jews? I don't blame him for going, now Jesus, who's my neighbor? Like you, like, you want me to like the people who have enslaved us, tried to kill us, wipe us off? Yeah. That's why Matthew 5, says this. But I say, love your enemies. By the way, that isn't a suggestion if you're a Christian. Like, hey, Derwin, you know, um, if you want to, love your enemies. No, no, it's a command. And every command that God gives, he gives the grace to fulfill the command. And here's something that's beautiful. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, well but what if they don't love me back? So... Here's the beauty. When you love your enemy, it may not make your enemy love you, but it'll keep you from hating them. And when you grow in love, you grow in your humanity, and we begin to reflect our God. The Bible says in 1 John, how can you say you love God whom you've never seen, but hate your brother whom you see? Your neighbor is everybody. Never forget this. You and I will never treat people above the label we give them. That's why Jesus says, neighbor. Here's a quick question. What labels have you put on people and you've attached how you're gonna respond to them based on that label? Because King Jesus says, call them neighbor. Not liberal, not progressive, not Republican, not Democrat. Neighbor, neighbor. Besides, how many people did Jesus bring to himself being a jerk? Hey, come to me. No, no, he, he met people where they were and he loved them. The only people Jesus had beef with was the religious people. Uh-uh. <laughs> being a merciful person, number three means this, that you cross ethnic, cultural, and religious barriers to help hurting people. Luke 10, 30, Jesus is now gonna go into a story. Teenagers, whenever Jesus makes a point, he tells an incredible story to back up the scripture and give an illustration. Says, Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. Now, from Jerusalem to Jericho is a 17-mile trip with a 3,000 foot descent. According to Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, this passage was called the bloody way because people would get robbed and 
killed along this passage. So Jesus, being the master storyteller, is communicating a story and a place that his audience would understand. So this man is a Jewish man because he did not identify him as a Gentile. It says this, they, they stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. Verse 31, a priest. Immediately, the Jewish audience would have been like, all right, a priest. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he had arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Let me give you some context here. So a priest uh, um, went to the temple and also the Levite. The Levite is the worship leader. The priest is like the, the teacher, um, the preacher. Uh, he's given sacrifices. He's given praise. So the temple for the Jewish people is where heaven and earth met. It was a sacred and holy place. So the priest and the Levite had been worshiping, giving, singing, praying all the stuff that religious leaders do and on their way back from the temple where they worshiped God, they saw a man. Now, there was no danger of them being unclean from touching a dead body because they already went to the temple. So they were good. So in other words, they're talking. Let's just pretend like we're them. We're rolling down. The, hey, man, worship was great, dude. Like you were singing. Your vocals were great. We were praising God. Oh, look at that guy. Hey, man, worship was great. It was awesome. Praise God. It was awesome. Friends, the greatest form of worship is loving people because God loves people. Let me say it again. Uh, let me say it th this, this way. Keep your songs and love pe pe people. If your songs don't make you love people because you love God, you're singing the wrong songs or you're not obeying the songs. The priest and the Levite had finished worshiping and saw a Jewish brother in need and walked on by. Metaphorically, spiritually, situationally, uh, um, culturally, who are the people laying on the side of the road that you keep on walking by? Well, that stuff doesn't happen. You know, there's no such thing as police brutality. That, that doesn't happen. Just because it doesn't happen to you doesn't mean it doesn't happen. By the way, our church gets awards from the police. You do know that you can be pro-police and police reform at the same time? You know that? Like we get awards and all this wonderful stuff and, 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 and it's amazing. Well, that doesn't happen because it never happened to me. Well, just, well, I've never been a fried taco. <laughs> My point is, is maybe I just don't have time for it. I gotta turn up my worship music. One of the ways that you know you're growing in love is when things that don't affect people that look like you begins to affect you. Your heart is expanding when other people's pain becomes your pain. Think about this. Jesus had no sin. He was utterly perfect and holy, yet our pain of sin drew him down to earth to redeem us, to set us free. When other people's problems become yours, you begin to grow. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm not Native American. However, my wife and I have a huge heart for Native Americans. My wife is from Montana. And I've, I've been going to Montana with her since the 90s. 
And uh, the first time I went, we were driving along and it said such and such reservation. And I began to drive through the reservation. I was like, what in the world? I was blown away. I was like, this is worse than the projects. And so over the years, my wife and I have brought awareness to mental health issues on the reservation and, and, and how COVID is sweeping through the reservations and, and making that aware and trying to do the best that we can. I'm not Native American, I'm a human and so are they. When everybody becomes your neighbor, we have the capacity to love everybody. And here's, here's what's beautiful. I don't have to agree with you to love you. To love you means I recognize the dignity in you. Verse 30. But a Samaritan. Time out. Whenever you see but in the Bible, something big is about to happen. And God loves big butts and he cannot lie. <laughs> Satan may try to deny. Oh, he's going to try to deny. Whenever you see but in the Bible, something big is about to happen. Watch this. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. Let's unpack this. A Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. By the time that Jesus came along in the first century, there was 700 years of ethnic, racial, cultural hatred. Jews wouldn't even go through Samaria. Why? What happened? In 722 BC, the Assyrian army captured the northern tribes of Israel. Um, they began to marry the northern tribes of Israel, stopped worshiping Yahweh, and they had a, a, a pagan mixture and all types of stuff. And so the Jews no longer considered the Samaritans Jews. They considered them Gentiles. And then in about AD 6, some, some Samaritan men took dead man's bones into the temple of the Jews. So that was like a spit in the face. So by the time Jesus comes, he steps into 700 years of racial, ethnic tension. So do we. My question for you and my question for me is, are we gonna continue cycles of vengeance or start cycles of grace? So watch this. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. Now notice this language. And when he saw the Man. Notice it doesn't say when he saw the Jew. No, no. Don't miss this. When he saw the man, he saw another human being made in the image of God, and the label he gave him was a man. When he saw the man, and notice what it says next, and he had compassion on him. Teenagers, Compassion means to suffer with. When the Samaritan man who hadn't been in the temple worshiping because the Jews wouldn't allow him to go in, when he's walking by, he stops, he sees a Jewish man, and he has compassion. It means to hurt. That's what drove Jesus to the cross is your sin and my sin hurt the heart of Jesus, and Jesus in his hurt went to the cross. Well, this man hurts for another human being. One of the greatest gifts we could ever have is the hurt for people 
who are hurting. Every human being is your neighbor. One of the things we say at Transformation Church is this, treat everybody like Jesus died for them because he did. Treat everybody like Jesus died for them because he did. So let me ask you this. If Jesus thought people, uh, 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 that he loved people enough to go to the cross for them, how should we treat human beings? Now, I'm not ta ta talking about the ones who just treat us good. That's easy. That's really easy. But how do we respond to those who don't, the people we're not supposed to love? This is like varsity Christianity here when we begin to love beyond the barriers. Hebrews 2.9 says this, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. See everybody like Jesus died for them. Being a merciful person means this, number four, that you're willing to count the cost of loving your neighbor. You're willing to count the cost of loving your neighbor. Um, let me say, say this, and this is really, really important. Oftentimes, we view love as a feeling instead of a commitment. If you want to know what love looks like, teenagers, love looks like Jesus growing to the cross. Love says, I'm going to sacrificially give myself for someone else. Love costs. How do we know? Jesus teaches us this. Let's look at Luke 10, 34. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds. So the man was bloodied, so it costs money to have bandages, so he bandaged the wounds. And then it says, pouring olive oil and wine. So, so olive oil keeps the wounds soft. Wine is a disinfectant. Olive oil and wine cost money. Then he put him on his own animal. His own animal costs money. And then he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. How much is two denarii? 14 days of wages. Two weeks of pay he gave to the innkeeper. Now, keep in mind, this is an enemy. This isn't his friend. This isn't his cousin. This is, this is an enemy. Somebody with 700 years of ethnic, cultural, and religious feud. He took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. So you, you have a relational cost. And then he says, when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever you spend. Uh, before we go to the end of this, here's another cost. And I believe I'm in good biblical scholarship here. Here's another cost. Not only was it financial, can you imagine when the Samaritan man gets back to his home and he tells his Samaritan neighbors and friends and cousins, hey, um, man, Jerusalem was an interesting trip. Wow, what happened? Well, I was making my way down the bloody way and uh, I saw a man and man, he, he, was, he was in bad shape. So I bandaged him, I put olive oil on him, I put wine on him, I put him on my, whole, on my, on my animal and I paid for two weeks for him to stay at the inn until he healed and then I promised to pay more if needed. And the people would've went, well, what Samaritan is it? And he would've went, no, it wasn't a Samaritan, it was a Jewish man. You did what? 
You're a Samaritan lover. I mean, you're a Jewish lover. Nah, you can't do that. Don't you know what those people think about us? Don't you know what they've done to us? Don't you know how they, how they consider us? It, you see, all those labels, that's what hate and division does, is it labels people other than neighbor. And so can you imagine the, the relational cost that he would have experienced? Verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the religious scholar says this, the one who showed mercy to him, he said, then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Go and do the same. At Transformation Church, when I finish a message, I give what's called a a soul tattoo. Here it is. Who is that neighbor you're not supposed to love? It, It literally could be somebody across the street It could be somebody on the side of the political aisle. It could be somebody who hurt you in your past. It could be, I don't know who it is. That's between you and God, but but who is that neighbor? Now, that doesn't mean you stay in an abusive relationship or you're a doormat. What Jesus is teaching here is that it is time for ethnic and racial division to end, and the only way it's ever gonna come close to ending is that if the big church, God's people, begin to love each other as siblings in Christ, that when we realize that Jesus not only forgave our sins, but he gave us brothers and sisters with different colored skins. We're not called to be colored blind. We're called to be color blessed. I want you to know God made me chocolatey. I want you to know I am 23% European too. I'm gonna block Scotsman, I'm gonna go to Scotland one day. And God made you the way he made you. You know why? Because in our differences, we grow. You pull out of me what I didn't even know was in me, and I pull out of you what you didn't even know was in you. Unity and diversity, a beautiful array surrounded and soaked in the blood of Jesus. If it's to be, it's God's people that has to lead the way. And so we want to go in the mercy of Jesus and love our neighbors. Now, this is a great story. It's helpful. But let me share with you the truest of the true story of this story. You and I are actually the Jewish man laying on the side of the road. The devil has stripped us of our dignity For some of us, particularly if you've been around the block of life, there are things that you don't want anybody to know that you have done. Um, The the devil has beat us up. We are are born broken. And what happens is, what we do is we lay on the side of the road and people walk by, but those people who walk by can't help us anyway. They can't fix us. Only the great carpenter can fix us. We have injuries that only the great surgeon can can heal. We have brokenness that only can be glued back together by the one who has blood that is affectious, blood that heals, blood that transforms. So what you and I do is we roll around on the side of the road. We just got to be still. And let me tell you why. Because there wasn't a Samaritan that came down from Jerusalem. 
There was another one who came down from a place greater than Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, there's one who came down from heaven and his name is Jesus. And I want you to know he is walking your way. As a matter of fact, before you ever called his name, he was on his way. Before your daddy ever met your mom and thought she was fine, he was on his way. Before you knew you had a need, he already heard your cry and he is coming not down the bloody way from Jerusalem to Jericho, he's coming and putting himself on a bloody cross. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to bandage you and clothe you in his very own righteousness. You know what he wants to do? Is give you the oil of the Holy Spirit. You know what he wants to do? Is he wants to take some wine and say, this is, oh my goodness. He said, this is my blood shed for the new covenant. Let me just preach for a minute. Let me just say something about his blood. When I talk about his blood, when I talk about his blood, there is power in his blood. There is healing in his blood. His blood will transform you. His blood will teach you and remake you. What was sent to break you, his blood God will transform you. And you know what else? He ain't gonna put you up in an inn. <laughs> he said, hey, yo, my pops. That's the Hebrew. <laughs> yo, my pops, he's got a mansion and he's got a whole bunch of rooms in it. And when I'm coming back, I'm taking you with me. And by the way, I'm leaving a deposit called the Holy Spirit to live in you and I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you and I will make you more beautiful and more powerful than you ever thought was possible. That's the truth of the true story. Hope, will you pray with me? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you do a work in our hearts. For some of us, we have been indifferent to things that are going on racially, culturally. For some of us, we've been resistant. For some of us, we haven't known what to do. For some of us, we've been holding grudges from the past. But today, you want to be merciful. You want to, you want to see everybody as your neighbor. You want to love with the mercy that God gave you in Jesus. Hope Church, that, that you would be a church where all people find hope. And, and hope is not an idea. Hope is not a destination. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Would you heal us, Lord? And right now, I want to pray for those of you who are listening and you're saying, uh, um, hey, pastor, I'm, I'm recognizing that I don't follow Jesus. Like I've heard about him, I know about him, but I haven't really committed my life to him. Well, today is your day. Jesus is calling your name. And his nail-pierced hands that are extended to you is forgiveness is mercy, is grace, is a new life and a new purpose and a new hope. 
He is calling your name. You don't have to clean yourself up. His blood will do it. You don't have to be perfect. He was perfect for you. He will bring you from death to life. Today is the day that you say yes to him. In the silence of your heart, wherever you are, right now in this moment, say this to him. Today, Lord Jesus, I bow my knee to you and I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that on that bloody rugged cross you took my place. You was disgraced to give me grace, to give me space in your family. I believe that on the third day you rose again to now live your life through me and to make me a part of your kingdom. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being merciful. In his name we pray, amen, amen, and amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.